0: But I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Come Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Street 5, is on the phone. 17, yeah. into the podcast. It's the intro sports podcast. Yeah. It is Tuesday, April 5th, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for a loaded episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast as we have ourselves a new national champion. That is right. The Kansas Jayhawks. Caw-caw, caw-caw. They are your 2022 national champions beating North Carolina in an all-time thriller. We talk about it from all angles. We're going to discuss the game itself. The big plays. Kansas how they have evolved over the course of the tournament I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like it we'll talk about the future of Kansas now because it is a conversation with an NCA investigation going on we'll talk about Carolina we'll talk about Hubert Davis fun conversation overall on Monday night's title game then we'll take a quick break and do something completely different but something fun obviously Monday night means the end of the season and myself like so many others you do release your too early top 25 for the following season. Mine dropped on Monday, Monday night. I will go through and look ahead to early next season. We won't go team by team, all 25 teams, but we'll hit on the top 10. We'll hit on who is going to be good next year. And we'll continue the conversation about what college hoops could look like in 2022, 2023. Uh, should be a really fun year. And I'll tell you this, the, the the off season in college basketball will provide us with plenty of content. I will not be going anywhere. Obviously, we're gonna talk a lot of college football as well. I'm sure there'll be other stuff. that pops up so just because the season is over don't think Torres is going anywhere Uh, we will continue the Aaron Torres sports podcast we'll discuss all those details later but today national championship game today way too early top 25 but with that said let's get to the topic of the day and the topic of the day is we got ourselves a new national champion baby Kansas 72, North Carolina 69, and just a crazy, wild, all time classic of a game. Kaka, kaka. Kansas, your 2022 national champions. And here's what I want to do I don't have like one amazing big picture takeaway from this game. Like, I got to spend 20 minutes talking about one thing. Instead, what I want to do is hit on five, six, seven small things that all stood out over the course of this game. So I'm going to jump in a lot of different directions, forgive me, but this was an incredible game. It was an all-time game. It was an amazing game. Um, You know, let me just start there, right? Because to me, the biggest takeaway is, what was the biggest takeaway, Torres? What was your biggest takeaway in looking back and what will you remember most about the 2022 title game between Kansas and North Carolina? Well, what I'll remember is one of the craziest games I've ever seen. Listen, I'm not old enough. I wasn't born when Jim Valvano was running across the court because North Carolina State beat Houston. Um, you know, I, I don't remember Villanova beating uh, Georgetown in the, the 85 title game. I don't. I barely remember Chris Webber calling his time out. I was at the game where Villanova hit the buzzer beater in 2016, Ryan Archie Diacono to Chris Jenkins. So... I, I don't know where this one ranks among all-time Final Four National Championship games, and I really do hate the idea of, of coming on a show like this. This is one thing I never like to do. I hate coming on a show like this and saying, you know, this was the definitive best game ever. Because listen, in the moment, everything feels like the best everything that ever existed, and maybe if I went back and watched the 83 title game, Jim Valvano and North Carolina State versus Houston, I might feel a little bit different. So I don't know if this was the greatest Final Four national championship game of all time. What I do know is this, coming off one of the great games in the history of the tournament on Saturday night, Duke Carolina, we got ourselves another all-timer on Monday night, and just think about all of the things that happened throughout this game. Kansas, what do they do? First thing, they jump out to a 7-0 lead and we all automatically jump into our default, well, I told you Kansas was gonna win big. I mean, North Carolina, look at them. They just beat Duke. How could they possibly get psyched up for this game? How could they possibly be ready to go? Who they? they just beat their biggest rival on the biggest stage. Will they be mentally focused? Listen, it's something I talked about on Monday's show. It's not as though I wasn't one of those people asking those questions as well. Now, all of a sudden, Kansas is up 7-0, and you're like, oh, man, this might be a blowout. This might be an ugly game. Instead, what happens is, it swings 1,000% the other direction. Carolina can do no wrong. Carolina can't miss. Brady Manick gets hit in the face twice, and it seems like it gives him superpowers. And all of a sudden, you look up. Carolina's up 15 points at half, and you're like, how are they doing this? Armando Baycott is playing on one leg. Brady Manick, like I just said, he looked like a UFC fighter out there. He's got a swollen nose and a swollen forehead and swollen eyes, and they got a cut man in the corner, you know, keeping him on the court. How is this happening? Caleb Love isn't even playing well. Carolina, in complete control. Then from there, the second half starts, and all of a sudden, Kansas begins to rally. But it's not one of those, you know, situations where North Carolina completely falls apart or there's a major injury or there's a terrible foul call. Kansas just starts chipping away, starts chipping away, starts chipping away, and all of a sudden they're down 15 points at the half, 16 points at certain points in the game, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, they cut it under 10. Oh, they cut it under five. Oh, it's two. Oh, Kansas has the lead, and then all of a sudden late in the game you're sitting there thinking, oh my god, Kansas has this game in control. David McCormick hits a bucket, David McCormick hits another bucket, and you think the game is over. Carolina comes down, misses a three. It's definitely over. All Kansas has to do is inbound the ball. Oh my goodness, DeWan Harris steps on the out-of-bounds line and Carolina gets one more shot to win it all. It obviously falls short. Kansas is your 2022 national champions. But just in the bigger picture, if you just think about everything that happened in this game, we always talk about sporting events and seasons and teams as a book. Think about all of the chapters that unfolded in the book Duke, uh, North Carolina, Kansas, 2022 title game. Think about all the chapters in that book. It was absolutely unbelievable to think about. So now the question becomes, how did Kansas rally? How did they win this game? And what I would say very simply is this. It really came down to what I told you about on on Monday's episode. And this isn't to brag and to say I'm always right and I've never got anything wrong. I get stuff wrong all the time. I get stuff wrong all the time. I picked Duke to, to beat Carolina the other day. But on Sunday's show, on Monday's show, what did I tell you? I said this game, why I liked Kansas in this specific game, was pretty straightforward. It was because of the fact that I felt like there were so many different guys on Kansas that could beat you on any given night. North Carolina, You really needed a great game from Caleb Love. You really needed a great game from Armando Baycott, who was going to be playing on one leg. You really needed a great game from either uh, uh, RJ Davis or Brady Manick. And if any of those guys was not operating at the highest level, it was going to be a struggle. Well, this is no disrespect to Caleb Love, but he did not play well on Monday night. Armando Baycott was injured on Monday night. Brady Manick had a great first half and was a little bit quieter in the second half. This is not a criticism, but it is the reality that I always thought Kansas had more guys that could beat you in any moment, at any specific time in the game, and that's exactly what happened. Think about that rally. When I think of that Kansas rally, and when I ask you, and I know you guys and girls probably don't remember all the details, you're at a bar, whatever, but when Kansas starts to make that run, who would you say was the galvanizing force in that run? Oh, I don't think you can say anybody. Think about it. At certain points, it was Remy Martin. He's coming off the bench early in the game. He's terrible. He hits that bank three, then he hits a bun, then he takes a bunch of ugly shots. Bill self benches him. You wonder if he's even going to play the rest of the game. Well, fast forward to the second half. He made a couple big plays late and finished the game with 14 points overall on 5 and 9 shooting. But it wasn't just Remy Martin. Ochai Abaji had a huge and-one late in the game making a big play when his team needed it most. Christian Brown had several big buckets late in the game when his team needed it most. Jalen Wilson finished with 15 points, and David McCormick, as I said, uh, or as I said a minute ago, had those two big buckets late that essentially iced the game for Kansas. And so when I look at this game, this game ultimately played out a lot like I expected it to. It was never about one guy having to take over. It was never about, you know, you look at other teams in this tournament. You know, Duke needed Paulo Banquero to do this. Carolina needed Caleb Love to do that. Uh, whoever, you know, you go on and on down the list. Arkansas, if J.D. Note doesn't do this, if, if uh, Oscar Shiboy doesn't do that. Kansas had five guys that finished in double figures. There was no best player on the floor for Kansas. It was a team effort, and that was why I always liked them. Let me say in the bigger picture, I think this game was very interesting as a metaphor for Kansas as a team and for college basketball as a team. Listen, to go back to the preseason, and I'm not going to make this a 20-minute a segment on how right I was about Kansas all season long, because ultimately, at the end of the day, this Kansas story is fascinating to me. I picked them in the preseason because they were exactly on paper in the preseason who the, I thought they... I picked them because... They were in the preseason. I saw them on paper who they ended up being on Monday night. You have a star in Ochai Abadji and you have three, four guys around him that can make plays. Remy Martin adding spark on offense. And that was the team that I saw on paper in the preseason. But here is what is so crazy about this Kansas story. I've been talking about it for the last two, three episodes. The Kansas team that we saw on Monday night is not the same one that we saw in November. Forget November. They weren't the same team at the end of the regular season. They weren't the same team at the beginning of the NCAA tournament. And I can honestly say, as I look back on this Kansas run, I don't ever really remember a team like it. I mean, just think about this Kansas team. Now, yes, I know they won the Big 12 regular season. I know they won the Big 12 tournament. But think back to how their season ended if you're a Jayhawks fan or if you're not a Jayhawks fan. Second to last week of the season, you lose to TCU. You lose to Baylor, back-to-back games. You play TCU at home. You win by four. TCU's a good team. They made the NCAA tournament. They're not, like, amazing, though. Final game of the regular season, you play Texas. It takes overtime at home on senior day to beat a decent but not great Texas team in a game where you scored 63 points during regulation. You get to the Big 12 tournament, you win the Big 12 tournament, you get to the NCAA tournament, and I keep going back to it. Creighton, you barely survive Creighton. In the second round, Creighton was down two starters. I'm telling you, Creighton rallied to beat San Diego State. I still think San Diego State would beat Kansas the way they were playing at that point. But you survive that game. You get to Providence in the Sweet 16. Providence, if Providence could hit an open jump shot in the Sweet 16 to start the game, Providence wins that game. You survive Providence and then all of a sudden you're down at the half to Miami and you figure it out at the half and you really play essentially, I would argue, of your final five halves of the season. Two in the championship game against uh, North Carolina, two in the semifinal against Villanova, the second half against Miami. I would argue of uh, of your four best halves in the entire season, you could argue four of them came all in the final three games of the season. The second half against Miami, the game against Villanova, the second half against North Carolina. And so when you ask me, what will I remember about this, this this Kansas team? What I will say is, I've never seen a team like them. I've seen a team be really good early, bad late, and then figure it out right at the end of the season, kind of like what Carolina did. Um, you know, I've seen teams be really bad, then figure it out. I've seen teams get good and get hot at the start of the NCAA tournament. I've never seen a team get hot and figure it out in the NCAA tournament, though. I mean, I've seen teams get better and more confident, but I mean, I'm telling you, in the Sweet 16, if we were ranking teams coming out of the Sweet 16 going into the Elite Eight, Kansas probably would have been seven or eight. If we were ranking teams going into the Sweet 16 of the 16 teams left, I think Kansas would have been 13 or 14. I still go back to that Providence game, and I said, you know, if they played anybody that had played the night before in the in the Sweet 16, so obviously they played on Friday night, I said, if they had played some of those teams that lost on Thursday night, they're not advancing. If they had played the Texas Tech team that lost to Duke, they ain't advancing. If they had played the Gonzaga team that lost to Arkansas, they aren't advancing. If they had played the Arizona team that lost to Houston, they aren't advancing. If they had played the Michigan team that had lost to Villanova, they aren't advancing. But it I keep going back to what I always say about this tournament and what everybody says about this tournament. You don't have to beat all 67 teams in the field. You just got to beat the, the, the six that are in front of you. Villanova got the right six on the right night, got better every single game, and they are a deserving champion. Now, in terms of North Carolina, listen, I, I don't know that there's some amazing take on North Carolina other than what I already told you. It's just that this Carolina story is incredible. And I know nobody's feeling bad for North Carolina today. They've won a million national championships. I know nobody's, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, writing an incredible Cinderella story. Hubert Davis even said at the Final Four, "We're not a Cinderella." But what I will say is, for the third episode in a row, I've done a complete 180 on Hubert Davis. I am so blown away by this guy. I'm so impressed by how. Uh, the, the, The confidence that he instills in his team, the ability that he got them to rally, to play at their best late, the ability to get them to believe in themselves when in the middle of the season, they were getting blown out. I mean, I cannot emphasize this enough. You go back and look at some of those scores from early in the season, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to put on a North Carolina jersey and give up 98 points and lose to Kentucky by 29. It's embarrassing. How about this? They lost by 28 to Miami. Miami. Not talking about the football, the the Hurricanes football team. We're talking about Miami basketball. North Carolina lost to Miami by 28. They lost by 22 to Wake Forest. And so when I look at the turnaround in this team, let me just tell you, I, I don't know where it goes here from Hubert Davis. You look at this roster coming into next year. If Armando Bacon and Caleb Love go pro, I don't know if this is a top probably 10 to 15 team to start the season. Now they're going to do well in the portal. They're going to find guys. They're Carolina. They're going to be okay. They're in line to probably land a five-star kid who may reclassify. But the bottom line remains, I don't know what the future holds, but I have the ultimate respect for Hubert Davis because I believe, as I said on Sunday's show, Monday's show, he is the future of college basketball, uh, a guy that can be tough on players, hold them accountable without yelling and screaming, be a father figure, be somebody that can be stern, but not, a, again, a yeller and a screamer. Not a Tom Izzo, not a John Calipari, not a Jim Calhoun. And the message gets across. And so I, I'll say this from the Carolina perspective. I don't know if there's any amazing takeaway. One, he killed it in the transfer portal with Brady Manick. I believe he'll continue to do that. Two, I respect, and this is something I talked about over the summer, how he really kind of took the Carolina thing and put his own stamp on it. Roy Williams loved to play all those big guys down low. Last year, they had Garrison Brooks and Walker Kessler and Dayron Sharp. This year, it was Armando Baycott, stretched the floor, new style of basketball. Hubert Davis put his stamp on the court, off the court, and I'm excited to see this program. Finally, the last two things I would say, the first one is, listen, I, I gotta talk about the, the the future of Kansas basketball, right? And if you're a Kansas fan, this is not me tearing down your program or raining on your parade. But I also wouldn't be, I'd be remiss if I did not do my job properly. As a matter of fact, I've been very critical of Bill Self. I think a lot of people were waiting for me to send the, 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 the screw Bill Self, uh, you know, uh, uh, Bill Self, uh, you know, NCAA rules violations tweet on Monday night. I wasn't going to do it. I wanted Kansas fans to have their moment. I wasn't going to be the guy that was starting crap for the sake of starting crap. But here's the bottom line. Kansas committed egregious NCAA rules violations, five level one violations. Uh, That is more than Arizona, for example. Uh, Arizona, I believe, had one level one violation under Sean Miller. That's why he's coaching now. But I just bring it up to say there is a very realistic chance that Kansas gets hit hit with a major punishment this offseason. We should get clarification on their NCAA process coming up. We should get clarification on all that. Uh, But it could be an interesting offseason for Kansas. There's the possibility that they get a postseason ban going into 2023. They can't defend their national title. So on the one hand, I will say, listen, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the fact that Kansas, look, they got busted for doing some stuff. They may have to be held accountable. But let me also say this, though, too. One can be true without the other. Uh, what do I always say? Two things in life can be true. Well, what else, what else is also true is... Bill Self may have just shown why he's the best coach in college basketball, okay? And you can talk about Adidas this and, uh, you know, get me some players and what did he, you know, Billy Pratt, whatever. Here's the bottom line. Look at this roster. This roster is quintessential Bill Self. And what I would also say is Bill Self is a very interesting character to me because he's maybe the only guy in college basketball. The more NBA talent he has on his roster – The worst that he actually does, okay? I mean, Jay Wright's kind of like this too, so maybe he's not the only one. But think about it. John Calipari, one and done guru. Um, You know, I think Cal gets some unfair heat sometimes, but John Calipari, it's pretty clear. He's got to have the best players. uh, And if he has the best players, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. And I'm not saying all he does is roll the ball out. That's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, And I give John Calipari credit because what he does is not easy. But he brings in freshmen every year. He gets them competing. Uh, Coach K was the same. Uh, Everybody needs players. But Bill Self is the one of the rare guys that his worst teams have been when he brought in one and Duns His worst teams have been 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 when he has teams that don't have those veteran, older players, and I think this might be the best coaching job of his career. First of all, recruiting has been hurt by all the NCA stuff. Now, I, I know nobody's feeling sympathy for Bill Self, but it is the truth. But you look at this roster, okay? You look at this roster... I think this is the best coaching job he's ever done because look at the players. There is no consensus five-star on this roster. I'll take it a step further. Ochai Abadji was a fringe top 150 recruit. Commits to Kansas. He is going to be a first-round pick this year. Christian Brown, a fringe top 100 recruit. He could be a first-round pick this year. And so when you talk about the best coaches in college basketball and the best talent developers in college basketball. I think there's a very compelling case that Bill Self is the best coach or at the very least the best talent developer in college basketball because Ochai Abaji was a fringe top 150 player who's gonna be a first round pick. Christian Brown was a fringe top 100 player who probably will be selected this year potentially in the first round if he comes back next year has a chance to definitively be a first round pick. David McCormick was not a consensus five-star player, turned into a really good college player. DeWan Harris, a fringe top 100 player who is going to be a really good point guard for several years at Kansas. And so when you look at Bill Self, listen, I can't not talk about the stuff that could happen this summer, but I also think this was maybe his best coaching job and a deserving national champion because as I said, they got better throughout this tournament. Finally, the last little thought, then we'll get to next year's top 25, the, the way too early top 25. What I would also say, when I look at, the, the, my, my final thought is this, and it has nothing to do with Kansas, it has nothing to do with Carolina. Can I just say, I am so happy for the sport of college basketball after everything that the sport has gone through over the last few years, okay? So just think about college basketball, okay? College basketball, you know, obviously, look, I love it. I talk about it all the time on this show. It's a huge part of what I do. College basketball, for all its faults, has allowed me to partially make a living. And so I'm always grateful for college basketball. I always say, basically, all of the best things I have in my life, short of my family, are because of college basketball. The job opportunities, the experiences, the people that I've met, all that good stuff. But I bring it up because college basketball is just a sport that gets crapped on, never ending. It's a one month a year sport. All the best players come and go. I never know who the best players are. I don't really like it. This coach is this. This coach is that. I don't like college basketball. And for five weeks a year, four weeks a year, college basketball is thrust onto a national stage once the Super Bowl is over. And every single year it delivers. And then the tournament ends and the cycle starts again. Oh, I don't care about college basketball. We need to start the season here. We need to move the season back. This sport stinks. I don't know the players. The players come too quick. The one and done this. The transfer portal that. And here's the thing about college basketball. It gets crapped on nonstop. And then on top of that, it was the sport that was hurt by far the most because of COVID, okay? Think about the fact that college basketball it was the the NCAA tournament was the only major sporting event that was completely canceled in 2020. I think Wimbledon was too because there was a weird, you know, finan- there was a weird uh, insurance clause where they got money to not play it, but every other sport figured out a way to play. NBA played in a bubble. Major League Baseball played without fans. NFL played with limited fans. We figured out a way to play the Masters in November. College basketball in the NCAA tournament was the only sporting event that did not get played. And then as I've discussed again and again, the NCAA tournament was the only sport, it was the last sporting event in 2021 that was played under old COVID rules, okay? So half arenas, masks everywhere, this, that, the other thing. Two weeks after the NCAA tournament finished, we started the NBA playoffs with full 100% capacity in virtually all those arenas. And so college basketball always gets crapped on, always gets criticized, And then for two straight years, we didn't have a tournament. And I really believe by that we didn't have a normal tournament. At the very least, we didn't have a tournament one year. And the crazy part is, I really believe that we were lined up to have an incredible tournament in 2020. And I, we don't need to relitigate the whole thing, but that was the year Obi Toppin was at Dayton. That was the year Emmanuel Quickly and Tyrese Maxey were at Kentucky. And it just felt like we were going to get this incredible tournament. Seton Hall was really good that year. San Diego State was really good that year. We were going to get some unique teams and some unique positions and some unique storylines. Then the tournament gets canceled. Oh, college basketball stinks. Then the tournament gets played last year. And so for this year, to have the tournament that we did, I'm just so, so, so happy. And it's crazy because, you know, sometimes it takes until they start playing One Shining Moment for you to realize all the stuff that has happened in college basketball over the course of the NCAA tournament. One Shining Moment, you know, kind of made me remember, I don't know, Kennedy Chandler and Tennessee versus Michigan, uh, Oscar Shibwe, Gonzaga, Drew Timmy. I hadn't really thought about Gonzaga in two weeks since they lost in the tournament, Um you know, Providence, Iowa, Keegan Murray, Villanova, UConn, Teddy Buckets, Teddy Allen, and New Mexico State. You go on and on down the list. You Memphis, Jalen Duran, Penny Hardaway. So I'm so happy that we got this tournament, and I am so happy for college basketball that everything worked out the way that it did. This sport gets constantly criticized, and I am so, 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 so happy that we had our, ourselves a normal tournament. And by the way, Credit to Kansas, the 2022 national champion. I told you before Monday night's title game, I thought these were the two best teams. I thought they were the two most deserving teams and Kansas is your national champion. All right, so what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. Let's talk about my way too early top 25 because uh, you know it's, a, it's an article that every single year when I write it, you guys love it. It is always one of my most well-read articles every year, my most well-read reaction. And this year, there was certainly some reaction to it. So we're going to come back. We're going to talk about my way too early top 25. I will be right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Going to be back. Going to be back. Do want to switch gears off of that awesome national championship game. And I want to do something that I do every single episode of the Aaron Sports Podcast the day after the national championship game which is to start to look ahead to next year. And if you follow any of your, you know, anybody in the media, everybody in the media the day after the championship game or the night of the championship game always puts out their way too early top 25 for the following season. And the concept is pretty straightforward. This season's over. Let's start to look ahead at who could be good for next year. And on Monday night after the game, I did in fact put out my way too early top 25. And so what I want to do now over these next couple minutes is just discuss my way too early top 25, and we won't go through all 25 teams, but what we'll do is we'll go through the top 10, um, and, and I'll just tell you a little bit about some of these teams, who I like, why I like them, um, all that good stuff. Then then I'll pick a few later on in the top 25 and just kind of tell you, okay, number 17, I think this team's interesting, number 14, I think this team's interesting, etc. etc. So we're not going to go through all top 25 teams. I will go through the top 10, but before we get into it, let me give the caveat of just saying this. These rosters are going to change Exponentially over these next couple months, okay? And so one, if your team is listed or not listed, don't be upset. If your team is listed at one, two, five, ten, seven, it's not to say that things can't change because I, I think I could argue that in college basketball, more than any other sport, we just see crazy off-season turnover with these rosters. We have the NBA draft, we have guys that declare and leave. We have unexpected guys that declare and leave. Some guys just say, I'm done with college basketball. I don't want to go to school anymore. I'm ready to be a professional. Um, We obviously have the transfer portal, which has made this stuff extra, extra, extra crazy over the last two, three years because on the one hand, you're losing key players, but you're gaining players as well. Think about all the players that transferred at this time last year that when I put out a top 25, there was no way for me to know that this guy was going to be on this team. Remy Martin at Kansas, James Akinjo at Baylor, Walker Kessler at Auburn, Kellen Grady, Severe Wheeler, uh, whoever at Kentucky. Um, You know, you go on and on down the list. Arkansas had several transfers that were key pieces to their Elite Eight run this year that simply weren't on the roster. When I did my way too early top 25. So a lot is going to change. We're going to have high school players commit. We're going to have high school players reclassify. And then I think this year there is the extra, extra caveat that NIL is going to be a factor for the first time ever. So you might have had a guy that years ago would have said, I don't care if I'm going to be a second round pick. I don't care if I'm going to be undrafted. I'm going to just go pro and start making money. Well, now that kid can come back to campus and potentially make as much, if not more money in college than they can as a pro. Off the top of my head, a couple guys. Oscar Shibwe, National Player of the Year at Kentucky. I think that could be a factor for him. Johnny Juzang at UCLA could be a factor for him. Hunter Dickinson at Michigan could be a factor for him. So I could go on and on. But I want to get to the top 25, but I just want to give you the caveat. This is going to change a ton. Uh, If you listen to the podcast uh, over these next few months, we'll update this top 25 throughout the offseason. But I think this is a good time to get into my way too early top 25 for 2022, 2023. And what I would say is, uh, again, Always be checking Aaron Torres online because I will be updating it. And it's also worth noting, stuff is going to change over these next few days. I'm recording this on Tuesday morning. If you listen to it on Friday, there are probably going to be guys that have made decisions counter to what I'm saying. So don't be yelling and screaming, oh, Torres, this guy declared. Okay, I get it. We're recording on Tuesday. Let's get into the way too early top 25 for 2022. The number one team in my way too early top 25. I thought this would be sort of controversial, but it seems to be almost consensus. It is drum roll, please. It is the Arkansas Razorbacks. And so you know, I was hesitant to put Arkansas at number one because you know everybody know, oh Torres, you love the hogs, you love Musk, big pig invasion, blah 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 blah, this and that. Okay, I get it. What I would also say is that if you look at this Arkansas team on paper, I think right now coming in, they, they are the best team in college basketball on paper heading into 2022-2023. Uh, I will say they would have been a definitive, no doubt about it, consensus number one if their star player J.D. Note had decided to return. Again, I thought because of NIL that he might. Instead, he announced that he's going pro. And it's also worth noting that Jalen Williams, uh, really, really good uh, role player, big guy for Arkansas, probably the second most important player on their team this year. He, on Monday, did declare for the draft, but is leaving his options open. I expect him back. I have him back, as well as two other contributors, two other big-time contributors from this year's Elite Eight team, Devo Davis, the guard, and then on top of that, Audis Tony, a player who does have an extra year of eligibility. I don't know yet if he'll take it, though. So right now, Arkansas has three key contributors coming back off their Elite Eight team. But then on top of that, and this is the important part, they also have the number two recruiting class in the country, headlined by three McDonald's All-Americans. Anthony Black, we talked about last week, big point guard. He's about 6'6", 6'7". Really developed late in his career. Went from fringe top 100 to a top 10 player in this class. So excited to watch him play. Jordan Walsh. um, I heard Coach Must just describe his toughness and the way that he plays. Uh, I think he said he's a violent defender. He loves to get up in you, um, which sounded weird, by the way. Get up in you. But anyway, get get up in you defensively is what I meant, people. Okay, get your head out of the gutter. Um, and then Nick Smith Jr., big wing, talented wing. Some are saying he might be the best American high school prospect in this class of 2022 meaning he could be the first American-born player in the class of 2023. There's a big center out of, I believe, France, who's projected as the number one pick in not this coming NBA draft, but the next one. But Nick Smith could be go as high as number two. So you're talking about not only three McDonald's All-Americans, but three McDonald's All-Americans that can step in, play right away, and be absolute difference makers. I have Arkansas at number one in my way to early top 25. Number two is the Kansas Jayhawks. caw ka Listen, Kansas is going to lose Ochai Abaji, obviously, All-American. He's going to be a top, uh, you know, probably 15 pick. They lose Remy Martin, fifth-year senior, extra year of eligibility. And I do suspect they'll lose David McCormick, fourth-year junior. Um, you know, really good NCAA tournament. I suspect that he will want to move on. But I'll also say this. Uh, I didn't realize he's a, an incredible student. And they said he graduated from with undergrad in three years, working on his master's. And so I guess there's a thought that maybe he just loves school and he might come back for a fifth year. I wouldn't bank on it, but I think it's at least possible. As of right now, though, I do have Kansas bringing back Christian Brown, double figure scorer on Monday night. Uh, Jalen Wilson, double figure scorer on Monday night. Dewan Harris, starting point guard. A couple backups that played well. Joseph Yesifu, I think, will step in and have a bigger role next year. And all of that is subject to change. I'm already seeing buzz that Christian Brown could be a first-round pick this year. I don't know that I see it. I think he could take the ochai Abaji ochai route, return to college for another year, be an All-American, play yourself into the top 15, but there's obviously the possibility that he could declare. Jalen Wilson, I believe he's been on campus for three years now, he may declare, so you just never know, but right now I like this core that's returning for Kansas. I also like the fact they have three McDonald's All-Americans coming in next season, MJ Rice, really talented guard, and a couple big guys as well. Uh, Grady Dick, a wing, is a player that a lot of people were buzzing about coming out of the McDonald's All-American game. I do have Kansas at number two in my way too early top twenty-five. Number three is maybe the most interesting team on this list, and that's the UCLA Bruins. So if you remember this time last year, UCLA made the twenty twenty-one Final Four and literally brought back everybody. What's crazy is in theory they could bring back everybody again because of the COVID rules and the COVID year of waiver or the extra year of waiver with COVID. I don't think that they will. But right now, here is the UCLA roster situation, okay? They have three seniors that have an extra year of eligibility. Cody Riley, David Singleton, Jules Bernard. The buzz is all three will probably move on. David Singleton is the likely one that would come back, maybe work on his master's, play another year of college basketball. But right now, it's really hard to project any of those three coming back. But all three can if they want to, and we'll see if any of them do. On top of that, UCLA has three players, and we should get some clarification on these guys soon, that have NBA possibilities of leaving. Johnny Juzang, Jaime Jaquez and Peyton Watson, okay, for people who don't know the UCLA roster, I think everybody knows Johnny Juzang, star of the 2021 Final Four run, he declared last year, he decides to come back, the season doesn't really go as he expects, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's back next year, Haquez is a projected second round pick, I kind of think he's probably going to at least test, maybe declare, and Peyton Watson is a really interesting one, projected one and done, really talented athlete, has a long way to go as a player, I've heard that he wants to declare. I don't know that he will. Uh, I think it's also possible. This is just total speculation on my part. I'm not reporting anything. I haven't heard anything. But I think he could be a portal candidate if he decides to come back to college, maybe go somewhere where there's a more clear path to a starting role, to big minutes, to big production. Uh, but though that's the situation with UCLA. UCLA. Three guys who could use an extra year but might not. Three guys who could declare. In terms of the team, I do have their starting point guard, Tiger Campbell, returning for a fourth year. I do have a kid named Jalen Clark, who I think is going to be a star for this team. He's just a Mick Cronin, tough, grimy, gritty kid. Uh, And then I do have Johnny Juzang coming back because I don't know if he's going to get drafted this year. And I do wonder, he's got a huge social media following. I do wonder if he can make some pretty decent money being a college star at UCLA. But the other thing with UCLA, too, they got a really good recruiting class coming in. Uh, They have, obviously, the big name there is Amari Bailey. Uh, You know, you probably know about Amari Bailey because, well, I hate to say it, but His mom dated Drake there for a while. I don't know if they're still together. I don't know if those two crazy lovebirds are still in love or what. Uh, But Amari Bailey, McDonald's All-American, a Dembona, McDonald's All-American. And so it's gonna be interesting to try and figure out how the puzzle pieces fit. I do think one of their big guys, Miles Johnson, comes back for another year. UCLA at number three, but I would argue out of everyone here, they have the biggest fluctuation of what their roster could look like versus what I have it now. Number four, and this is gonna be controversial, I got Gonzaga, and I know what you're going to say. You're going to sit there and say, Torres, here we go again. Another top five ranking. They're going to be overrated. I can't fight you on that. I cannot fight you on that. But with Gonzaga, what I would say is pretty straightforward. They are probably the best example of what I said about the idea of how NIL could keep a star college player on campus. So Drew Timmy, my understanding is he's making real money up there in Spokane, uh, and they're by the way they're legitimate NIL deals. It's not like uh, you know the, these high school football players that are that are getting eight million dollars for quote unquote NIL. Um, you know, Drew Timmy, I believe, is like the spokesperson for the casino in Spokane. He's got his own line of merchandise. My understanding is he's making real money playing college basketball and that he could possibly make more money playing at Gonzaga next year than he would going pro. So I have Drew Timmy coming back. Now, there are some questions in the backcourt, uh, but Julian Strother is a player that at times looked like an NBA type wing. I'm curious to see how he develops. Hunter Salas, Nolan Hickman, both freshmen this year. They are going to get better going into next season. And oh, by the way, Gonzaga is going to crush in the portal because Gonzaga always crushes in the portal. Who wouldn't want to go play at Gonzaga? Who wouldn't want to go play in that system? So I do have Gonzaga at number four in my way too early top 25. Number five, it's kind of the same deal. Right now, I have Arizona at number five. So who is coming back for Arizona? First of all, who is leaving? Their star, Ben Matherin, he was the guy that took over against TCU. He's gone. I would assume Christian Coloco, the big center, he will probably be gone. And then everybody else, it's it's kind of a, a, a touch-and-go deal. The biggest question mark they'll have in terms of the draft, Dalen Terry, who was Basically, my favorite player to watch in college basketball this year. Just a really confident, some might say borderline cocky kid. Really came on late in the season. Really loved the way that he played for Arizona. When Kirk Creason went down with an injury, he stepped up. Averaged 8 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists per game. I think he could come back and be a first-team All-American. I also think as a big 6'6", 6-7 guard, he could potentially be drafted in the first round. late Maybe late first round, early second round. I don't know if he comes back. To me, he is the linchpin for a top five team. Kirk Kreese, the starting point guard, is coming back. Pella Larson, big wing, is coming back. Umar Balo, the Gonzaga transfer. I actually thought he played better than I could have ever imagined. He will probably step in for uh, Christian Coloco, uh, and Azulis DeBellis will come back as well. So right now, I like that core. Daylon Terry, to me, is the X factor. If he comes back, I think, one, he can be a first-team All-American, but two, as importantly, I also believe that when I look at this Arizona team, you know, he's kind of the piece that puts them over the top. If not, they're probably a fringe top 10, top 12, top 15 team. Uh, but I have Arizona at number five. Number six is where it starts to get, get interesting. I have the Houston Cougars. I mean, listen, first of all, love them Cougars. You know, I love them Cougars. But Kelvin sampsons uh, uh, he's a monster, man. I mean, listen, this guy is unbelievable. Sweet 16 in 2019, loses at the buzzer to Tyler Hero in Kentucky. 2021 makes the final four obviously there was no 2020 ncaa tournament this year loses his top two players and makes the elite eight well guess what those top two players are back Marcus Sasser Tremont Mark Jamal Shedd had an awesome ncaa tournament Ramon Walker came on strong Juwan Roberts came on strong they are expected to lose a few guys but the one thing that I think they do well they're going to hit the portal and find guys that fit what they do Um, and and, and the guys that they they are going to bring in are not the guys that are going to show up on the best portal guys list, right? They're probably going to bring in big guys and wings and tough guys down low that just want to play defense and play a role, but I will say, you know, I look at this team and it's hard not to like them coming into next season. I do have Houston at number six. Number seven, maybe the most interesting team in the way to early top 25, it's the Duke Blue Devils, right? Because on the one hand, they have the number one ranked recruiting class, which includes three of the top 10 players and four of the top 10 players, top 15 players overall. Derek Lively, center, superstar, super dynamic, super athletic. Uh, Kyle Filipowski, stretch four, really talented player. Derek Whitehead, really talented wing. Mark Mitchell rounds out that four top 15 recruits coming in for 2022, 2023. Here's the issue. They might literally bring back nobody who played significant minutes. Jeremy Roach is the only guy that I really have coming back that played major minutes. And they got a first-year, first-time head coach. We know nothing about John Shire. And so it's really hard to speculate. I think on paper, much like Duke this year, they might be the most talented team in college basketball. The difference is they won't have a head coach with 40-plus years' experience of coaching at the highest levels of the sport. And so to me, when I look at this uh, Duke team, I want to put them higher. I think they probably deserve to be ranked higher. But how do you put a first-year, first-time head coach any higher in this top 25? I mean, we're talking about Hall of Famers at the top of this list. We're talking about Bill Self. We're talking about, um, you know, uh, uh, Mark Few. We're talking about Kelvin Sampson, who's maybe the best coach in college basketball. So I have Duke at number seven. If you want to put him at one or two, I can't argue. You want to put him a little bit lower, I can't argue. Houston, or excuse me, Duke at number seven. Number eight, the Creighton Blue Jays. They're another one that I thought I might be a little bit higher on than most. Oh no! I saw them as high as 3 4 in some of these preseason polls. Creighton was a great story. Late in the year, they just are dealing with one injury after the other after the other. First of all, their starting point guard Sharif Mitchell gets hurt to start the season. Ryan Nemhart, a freshman who was supposed to be the backup, comes in, he plays really well, then he gets hurt a week before the Big East Tournament, guess what, they go on a run without him, go to the Big East Tournament Championship game, where they ultimate lose to Villanova, get to the NCAA Tournament, fall down to San Diego State, rally to beat San Diego State, then their starting center Ryan Kalkbrenner goes down, and they still almost beat Kansas, the eventual national champ in round two. Well, Ryan Kalkbrenner, the starting center, is going to be back. Ryan Nemhard, the starting point guard, is going to be back. And there was a kid named Arthur Kaluma that came on really late. He looks to me like an NBA player, uh, maybe a year or two away. Another kid, Trey Alexander, as well. They do lose some veterans from this team, but I really like this Creighton team, which picked up some valuable experience and showed some crazy toughness. Creighton's another one. They're going to find the right pieces in the portal. They did a good job this past year. They will do the same next year. Number nine. This is an interesting one. Um, It's the Tennessee Volunteers. And, like, it's the Tennessee thing is so crazy because I was looking at the rosters, and I know what is going to happen. We are going to talk about them, maybe overhype them, maybe they're really good, and then we're going to get into the tournament, and it's going to be the same cycle of can Rick Barnes win in the tournament. And I get it. And I get the frustration of Tennessee fans And I get the frustration of non-Tennessee fans like, Torres, don't put them this high. They're not going to have tournament success. But you look at them, most of the core of this year's team, which was one of probably the top five, six teams going into the tournament, most of that core is back. John Fulkerson finally leaves. Kennedy Chandler is probably going to go pro at one point, but he's another one with NIL. I think it's at least possible that he comes back as minimal as it is. Uh, Santiago Viscovi declared for the draft, but he's not getting drafted. So unless he wants to go overseas and start to make some money, he'll be back. And again, with this Tennessee collective, you mean to tell me they can't put up some cash so he can live pretty well? Josiah Jordan James, Sakai Ziegler, Euros Plavich. And, of course, Olivier Congwa, who was out with injury, they're all back. Brandon hatley Huntfield is back. Most of the core of the team that we all loved late in the year is back. Now, what happens? What happens with Kenny Chandler? I don't know. But if we're just looking at rosters, it's hard to put very many teams before Tennessee. And as a matter of fact, I thought I should put them higher, but I put them at number nine because I thought it was probably for the best that I not put them too high, get Tennessee fans' hopes up too high. Uh, Tennessee at number nine. Finally, at number 10, you know, you talk about a roster that is going to be fascinating to watch here over the next couple days, or next couple weeks, next couple months. It's the Kentucky Wildcats, and Kentucky has arguably two of the most important stay-go decisions, and again, this is being recorded on Tuesday. We could get clarification on either of these any day now. But to me, this is so fascinating. So Keon Brooks, by the way, did declare on Uh, Monday while maintaining his eligibility but we assume Kellen Grady, Davion Mintz, Ty Ty Washington are gone. Here is who could stay and here is who could go. Oscar Shibwe national player of the year now he of course is an international student he's here on a visa and I'm still a little confused as to how much NIL money that he can really make. First there was a report that he was open for business now I'm hearing mixed things that he might not be able to make as much money as we thought But if Oscar Shibway comes back, I mean, mean, the National Player of the Year, one of the greatest rebounders in the history of college basketball could be back for another season. On the flip side, though, there's Shaden Sharp, who was projected as he was the number one pick in the class of 2022, uh, enrolled early, and we now find out that he's eligible for the NBA draft. And I'll be real. I see it hard to see the scenario that he comes back in 2022, 2023. And so if he doesn't come back, Who's the point guard? If he doesn't come back, what does it mean for Oscar Shebway? If he doesn't come back, what about Severe Wheeler? So I like this Kentucky roster, but as we saw late, I don't know if you can win a national championship if Sevier Wheeler's your point guard. Does he stay? What does his future look like? Uh, the the freshmen are going to be really good, Chris Livingston and Cason Wallace, but are they ready without Shaden Sharp, who is supposed to be the playmaker, ball handler, difference maker? So the thing with Kentucky, obviously we gotta watch for Oscar Shibway. I do have Oscar Shibway coming back in this top 25, but at the same time, they need some guards around him. They need a lead guard. If it's going to be severe, Wheeler, you need three-point shooting around him. We'll be curious what Kentucky does in the portal in the coming weeks uh, because of the fact that uh, this is just a fascinating team. So I don't want to go through every team in the rest of the top 25, but let's just go through a few of them. Number 11, Michigan State. I actually really like their guards. I think their guards are very interesting going into next year. thought Tyson Walker and A.J. Hogard had played well down the stretch. Max Christie, I think I'm getting some big Ben Matherin vibes from him. Come back, maybe a late second round pick this year. Come back, be a superstar next year. I like Michigan at number, Michigan State at number 11. Number 12, Baylor. I uh, don't think there's really much to say there. They return a lot. They're gonna need to find a point guard. Keontae George is a five-star. He will probably be that point guard, but do you bring in a backup to him? It's gonna be a lot to put the pressure on him. Number 13 is North Carolina Tar Heels, and I, I don't know what to do with North Carolina. I really don't. Because when I look at North Carolina, I sit there and say, man, oh, man, oh, man. You know, I I can't see Caleb Love or Armando Baycott coming back. If either one does, again, NIL, I'm going to move them up. But right now I have both those guys leaving. Brady Manick is out. Leaky Black graduates. So really you start to look at who's going to be back. It's R.J. Davis. It's Puff Johnson, the kid who stepped up in the NCAA in the Final Four. and Then he got sick on the sidelines. Um, You know, no great recruits to speak of, although there is talk Gigi Jackson, a five star in the class of 2023. Not only could he commit to UNC, but also that he may very well reclassify to 2022. So that's one to keep an eye on. Going through number 14, Auburn. Um, you know, Auburn's going to be an interesting one, right? Lose Jabari Smith, lose Walker Kessler. They did sign a five-star Johan Traore, who is committed to LSU, could be in line to get another one. Uh, It's really going to come down to the guards. It's really going to come down to the guards. Are the guards good enough? All that good stuff. So we will see on, uh, you know, we will see on Auburn from there. Beyond Auburn at 14, Villanova 15, same deal. Doesn't look like on paper doesn't look like on paper that they are a super talented team they lose a lot but are you betting against Villanova I'm not Villanova at number 15 number 16 and by the way all of this is at AaronTorresOnline.com if you want to read it AaronTorresOnline.com I'll keep it pinned atop my Twitter page as well number 16 my UConn Huskies look I'll be quick here but They don't have a point guard, that's the problem. But Andre Jackson, Adama Sanogo, two really key players off last year's team are back. Jordan Hawkins, I believe, is a breakout star waiting to happen, but they don't have the lead guard with no R.J. Cole, no Tyrese Martin. uh, Martin. So who is the point guard? They're gonna have to find somebody in the transfer portal. UConn at 16. This is a big one. Number 17, I have Texas A&M. Texas A&M is a team that returns literally... Basically, everybody off of that uh, NIT runner-up team, but a team that not only had success in the NIT, let's not forget, final week of the regular season, they beat Bama. Final uh, SEC tournament, they beat Florida. They beat Arkansas. They beat Auburn on the way to an uh, SEC championship game. I got Tennessee with all those guys, or uh, Texas A&M with all those guys back at 17. San Diego State at 18. They return a bunch. They're going to be really good. 19, I just mentioned, the fact that Texas A&M was the NIT runner-up. You know who won the NIT? Xavier. You know what they got now? A real coach. And so I look at this Xavier team with Sean Miller returning a ton from that team from last year. I got Xavier at number 19. I really do think they are a team that can have a bunch of success. I have Xavier at 19. Let's rip through the final five. Colorado State at number 20. They went 25-6 and this year. Their top four scorers are back. 21 Marquette. Justin Lewis is the star there. If he returns to school, they could be even higher than 21. 22 is Michigan. I don't have either Hunter Dickinson or Caleb Houston coming back. If they do come back, though, I have Michigan moving way up. 23, Dayton. Dayton was one of the last, the first four out. They returned literally everybody. 24, an interesting one. I have Bama at 24 but I am hearing increasing rumors that Javon Quinterly, their starting point guard, could be back for a fifth year. He's the guy that got hurt in the NCAA tournament. If he's back and playing anything close to 100%, uh, I'm going to have to bump them up Alabama at 24, Texas Tech at 25. Loved Mark Adams, really believe in what he's doing there. Again, you can see this all at TorresOnline.com. I should mention, by the way, next five, 26 Davidson, 27 uh, Indiana, 28 Ohio State, 29 Florida State, 30 Texas. But to recap, the top 10 is Arkansas, Kansas, UCLA, Gonzaga, Arizona, Houston, Duke, Creighton, Tennessee, Kentucky. With that said, I think it's time for me to get out of here. It is the day after the national championship, and uh, I got some other stuff that I gotta get done. So with that said, I do want to thank you guys and girls for listening to today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Really fun episode, and I really do appreciate your guys' support. If you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. I'll talk about it a little bit. So, So, by the way, the schedule this week. No Wednesday show, obviously. We went Monday, Tuesday. We'll be back on Friday, maybe Thursday. We'll see. Uh, And then going forward, we will see. It will be a week-by-week basis, okay? Uh, I'll talk about it a little bit on Friday's show. But the schedule, you know, I I, want to stick to three episodes a week. I don't know if there will be enough to talk about. And so what I don't want to do is water down this show, uh and make it not very a very good listen for you guys okay there's some there's going to be weeks where there's not a ton going on in sports and I don't want to be stretching here for content okay I don't want to be uh you you know breaking down the Angels bullpen or the Rockies uh you know whatever like obviously I don't watch baseball but you get the point so we're going to try to stick to three episodes a week what I will say I want to count on you guys okay I want to count on you guys, submit questions, submit topic ideas. I had somebody suggest the best football and basketball schools combined, or why can't certain basketball schools be good at football and basketball at the same time? So if you have any ideas, hit me up at Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. Also feel free to DM me on Instagram or Twitter. Um, You know, I want to do three episodes a week, but it comes down to, can we create compelling content? Can we do interesting things that you guys are into? And if we can, we'll do it. If we can, we'll do it. But today's show is done. I appreciate your guys' support. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to the Kansas Jayhawks, your 2022 national champions. I will be back on Friday with a new episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, and please, Send in your ideas on what we can do here over the course of the summer.